Hello and welcome to another episode of A Slice of Health, the Candid Health Chat podcast, where we slice away health truth from health fiction. Join me and my friends as we challenge common health myths via chit chat, powered by several cups of coffee. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social media and do visit us at a sliceofhealth.club. Let's get to today's episode. champions welcome back to another episode it's mdo here and today we are joined by dr tosi who is also a podcaster himself and we're going to be talking about prostate health in black men welcome dr tosi thank you thank you for having me it's nice to be here awesome thank you so much for coming on could you tell us a lot about yourself well a lot i don't i would say let's let i'll make it a nutshell i don't think there's a lot i can summarize everything um for those that for those that want to know i'm a medical doctor I'm an NHS GP registrar. What that means is that, I mean, I'm still in the middle of my training as a GP. I should finish sometime next year. But in the meantime, I host a podcast. Um, it's called Dr. Tosin Surgery. And I do topics around in health, welfare, and holistic health, basically. I'm also, I'm also doing a YouTube channel as well. And I do a bit of health coaching on the side for people that want weight loss and fitness. That's technically me in a nutshell. I think that that's the summary, to be honest with you. That is awesome. How did you get into the coaching? Okay, yeah. So now that's an interesting question. I've, I, to be honest with you, I've been asked this question for about, I think you're the third person to ask me in the last four weeks. Okay. And the answer is pretty much, I think what I always explain to people is when we come out of medical school, you find out that 85% of the illnesses we are treating as GPs and doctors are chronic illnesses from cardiac problems to hypertension to strokes to diabetes to depression and a lot of these things and most of these things are actually 60 percent to 70 percent caused by lifestyle changes that people make Mm -hmm. and um, the rest comes now modulated by family pattern inheritance genetics and some deep things things called epigenetics but the majority of things lifestyle based and i found out that in that lifestyle, one of the things that forms a lifestyle is nutrition. But as a medical doctor, we spend six years in medical school, one year or two years as an intern, FY1, FY2, and you now try and specialize anything from three years to 10 years. But one thing we never got taught properly was nutrition. And it actually took me listening to other gurus for me to realize that, wait a minute, that is very true. All we did were snippets and topics about nutrition, but we never had a semester, a module talking fully about nutrition, which kind of struck me. So that now kind of took me on a journey. I went to do a bit of health coaching training, but I did mind based a little bit more on keto diet because keto had a personal attachment to me. My wife went on the keto diet. Not long story short, it was there was a massive change back before um, that was like three years ago, and that kind of got me interested in it. I I describe myself as someone having um a firm belief in keto but loosely held in the sense that i believe every other thing works to be honest with you i just like that particular one and i do not necessarily think people should do it continuously but it's worth a try that's how i put it yeah that that is really interesting just on a personal note i did try the keto diet for three days um (laughs) and i uh, i sort of went into a bit of a fog it wasn't it, it i think and perhaps maybe i jumped into it a bit too quickly as well in terms of 
then you know being very strict in terms of carbohydrates and things and it just it just didn't suit it just didn't suit me at all but it's probably something that i should probably try again maybe slowly probably had the keto flu yeah exactly that's it um that's an interesting one but anyway yeah Yeah. whatever what my summaries are whatever works for people yeah people should i think the term i use in health coaching is people should be metabolic detectives Mm. what works for you to be honest to be honest with you that that is that is really that is really interesting and so today we're talking about prostate health in black um black men african-american men african men as well um and obviously we know that black men do have a higher risk of developing prostate cancer um but are also less likely to seek out help in terms of when they develop symptoms or just to seek out help in terms of screening as well. So what we just want to do today is just have a bit of a chat around prostate cancer, the ways that it presents as well, the kind of symptoms to look out for and why it's so important to encourage black men um, to, to seek out help, seek out screening and to also perhaps talk to their sons and you know the younger men in their environments as well about it, especially if they've been on been on that journey as well. So, what can you tell us about prostate cancer? Well, um, as you, I think as you've mentioned, um, it's it's quite it's quite prominent in black people. I'd say the incidence they put it that that averagely it affects if one in four yes. of um, black people black men at in their lifetime will develop prostate cancer. I think it's that high from what I, I remember. Yeah. Um, it's the third commonest cause of death, cancer, um, UK, where UK at the moment, mm-hmm. irrespective of whether you're black or white, and probably second in men, second highest cause of death in men, generally in the world. Yeah. Uh, just for basics, people, if people want to know what the prostate is, essentially we describe it as almost shaped like a walnut, sits at the base of the bladder, and the urethra, which is the um, best thing to describe it is the tube through which you pee through, mm-hmm. passes through it. And um, over the course of time, it can, you can develop symptoms of it getting bigger, swollen, or cancerous, which are um, cancer probably would just describe it as um, odd, odd cells that change in the system that make it a bit more difficult. Um, so that's, that's, that's a quick summary of prostate, prostate cancer. Yeah. I don't know, for symptoms per se, do you want us to go into symptoms now or just continue about prostate cancer first? Let's continue about it as well. And mm-hmm. I think it's quite important because I think a lot of times when we say the C word, um, yeah. you know, cancer word in a lot of, you know, black communities, it's sort of like, oh, no, never. I can't have cancer. Or depending on your religion, it's sort of like a God forbid type of situation. And yeah. there's a lot of secrecy in terms of talking about certain health conditions. Um, and, and I think, you know, over the past few weeks, we've been having quite a few people come on talking about the culture of secrecy in the Black community in terms of health. And it's as though we're comfortable talking about high blood pressure and diabetes, and, but nothing else. Um, And so in terms of prostate cancer, because it's one of the ones that people can live well with. It's also one of the ones that, you know, people who do have it can often die of other things as opposed to their death being primarily caused by the cancer. So let's talk a bit about that to try to debunk the fear around it as well. Yeah, so um, that is, I think that's more cultural, like you have put it. People, People, the black community, we are still yet to accept the word cancer as something that is readily treatable if caught early. Yes. So um, if I just use the example of going back to my country, Nigeria, where people get these things and they kind of seek the wrong help first, or you see symptoms and you want to do things 
the old way first. They go to the local traditional herbalists first before they seek help from the doctor. And even when they want to come to the doctor, they, they tend to hide their symptoms, which is a bit, it poses a challenge to the medical doctor to try and get the diagnosis. Um, I think that's one of the things. I think another big problem is the level of education we're giving the black community, how much they're accepting the level of education and training regarding things like prostate cancer, other, other cancers as inclusive as well. Well, I think that's one of the main issues as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so then going that way in terms of, okay, so we know that the management of prostate cancer is quite significantly enhanced and, you know, people do have quite good outcomes if it's caught quite early. What are the steps to then ensuring that it's caught quite early if you were supposed to give someone advice, let's say a gentleman in his 40s or early 50s? Okay, so for prostate cancer, generally, generally more than 60% of people that it affects are people over the age of 65. But if people have risk factors, I think the first step I ask them to do is try and modulate or mitigate the risk factors that you have. Smoking, yeah. obesity, um, age, obviously you can't do anything about, we are all going to age. And if there is a family history, particularly if you have a father or your father or your brother got prostate cancer or that under the age of 60, then it will be advisable for you to seek help to see the doctor and run, then we can now run through possible symptoms that you may have. Yeah. If Before we go into symptoms, if per chance we think, well, okay, maybe you don't have symptoms, we can now examine you first. Now, this is another area where black men find a bit of taboo. I'm talking about the digital rectal exam. Yeah. Uh, it is very, even I sometimes, if you hear that, you kind of cringe. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it's just part of it. But as a doctor, I've come to accept that these are part of the things that will have to be done. Yeah. So yeah. getting them and trying to psychologically tune them to having the digital rectal exam, yeah. which would be the, my first point of call for people. Yeah. If you are over the age of 40 and you are concerned, yeah. that's what your doctor will probably do. Okay. He will also run through possible symptoms and risk factors like we've talked about. Yes, yeah, yeah. And so going past the digital rectal exam, let's then talk about symptoms that can link to potential potential problems being associated with the prostate because obviously it's not only prostate cancer yes. that can cause um, certain symptoms associated with the prostate. There can also be just the natural enlargement of the prostate, um, which can also cause similar symptoms. So what kind of um, symptoms do people who have prostate pathology often present with? Right. So people that have symptoms of the prostate, if one of the things we hear a lot, you, they start with something called frequency which means they find that they have to use the toilet more often than not yeah. um, waking up more than once or twice at night so urinary frequency is one of the ones that we see they come with the fact that they want to go to the find themselves going to the toilet a lot passing yeah. urine waking up at night more than once or twice yeah. to use the loo mm -hmm. then there's another one called urgency the fact yeah. that um, they get the urge to pass urine and it's as if they need to pass it right now. Yeah. And um, you find yourself rushing to the toilet and when you get there, when you are about to pass the urine, it doesn't come out straight away. That term, we term it as hesitancy. Yeah. You get there, they try to pass the urine, there's a big delay or delay anything from three to five to ten seconds before they're able to pass urine. Yeah. Uh, another one that happens is that there's a lot of terminal dribbling as well. 
those are the symptoms we tend to see with people with lower, lower urinary tract symptoms as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think it's also really important because in terms of sort of um, waking up at night to go to the toilet, a lot of people do associate that with getting older, which, yeah. can, which can be true, but it can also be a sign of other problems as well, things like mm-hmm. diabetes, um, you know, overactive bladder syndromes, and also prostate pathology. So it's so important to at least have that check done to know exactly where you stand and what the likely cause of your symptoms are. And in terms of, we talked about, you know, the prostate test, which is the PSA. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is sort of a test that is very hit and miss in a lot of, <laughs> in a lot of ways. And I think also just because, as you said, the digital rectal examination, in as much as it, it, it might not be as invasive as other tests, it's also something that um, makes people feel a bit squeamish and it makes you feel quite uncomfortable. But both of them going hand in hand together gives us so much information. Could you tell our listeners why it's so important to have both tests as opposed to relying solely on the prostate um, specific antigen, which is the blood test? So the blood test, I think blood test, the PSA itself, um, like you have pointed out, is a bit hit and miss. It's a, specific, a unique protein test that we do that kind of is usually eleva- can be elevated in prostate cancer. Yeah. We call it heat and miss because we have found out that um, two thirds of the people we test with the PSA end up not having prostate cancer. Yeah. That's one of the problems we have. Then also, 20% of the people that have symptoms will have a normal PSA but still end up having um, a significant cancer. Yeah. And uh, the, the test itself has come up with, there are different studies that have come out to show that. Uh, testing that you need before you can get someone treated you need to you need to have tested about over 1400 people or so that's one of the things we see yeah. now all, what we found out that most of the time if you examine the prostate as a doctor do a digital rectal exam and you feel an abnormality yes in over 70 percent of the cases if you do the psa at the right time i think that's the caveat we have to put there yeah and combine the two together you are more than likely 70% of the time to be able to predict the diagnosis of cancer or not. Mm-hmm. I think that's the key thing. That is why we'd like both of them to go hand in hand yeah. and do two together, not um, either or. Yeah, yeah. And that, that, is so, that is so important because also, you know, there's often situations where people have had an elevated um, PSA test um, and then they go ahead and have a biopsy and then obviously it's not cancer mm. or they do then have a biopsy and they do tell them that they have cancer but then they get onto this watch and wait pathway and that also causes quite significant amounts of anxiety as well and I think also in our communities in terms of African communities it's yeah. like they said I have cancer but they're not doing anything about it. about it and that causes a lot of anxiety so what would you say to people in that situation where you know, they've gone ahead, they've had the test because they've been advised to have the test and then they've been told they do have cancer, but then they've then been told, no, we're just going to keep an eye on it. That's, that's a tricky one. And the main thing we find is that um, although in, in the last number of years that we've been doing more PSA tests, we have picked up more cancers. But what we have found is that um, out of all those cancers, a significant number are actually benign-ish cancer, or I think the word we should use is they are cancers that are not aggressive. In I think the term I'll probably say is that people can live with um, some a level of prostate cancer that will not take them to the grave. They will probably die of something else. Yeah. 
yeah. rather than that particular cancer itself. So that is why, um, based on risk stratification and other data that we have, we come, we've come up with levels of treatment depending on the grade of the cancer that has been picked up by the specialist. Yeah. Um, just to go into that, obviously, we grade it into three grades. So some people may have what we call locally localized prostate cancer. So it's just staying there. It's not doing anything. They've looked at it. The cells don't look like the angry, aggressive cells. Yeah. And they've been able to significantly predict that it will, it will not progress. Then they give these pipelinger people watchful waiting. So we watch and wait and probably see them maybe in a year's time or so, retest the PSA and see how it goes. Yeah. There's another set where we do, I think it's... Um, intermediate risk and you can do things like um there's a term i've forgotten the term just now watch them and you repeat the test in three months time and you can intervene if necessary at that point in time i think i'll come back to it once i remember it yeah yeah definitely and um going towards sort of talking about the um prostate cancer because often there's a lot of questions about from men as well who feel Oh yeah, but then you know, women always have all these their screening programs, and they're always encouraging you to go for you know a national screening program. So either it's the breast cancer screening program or the cervical yeah. cancer screening program. And a lot of men feel well, if you're making so much fuss about the prostate cancer test, why don't you just develop a national screening program where we're reminded every couple of years to go and have a test, as opposed to then keeping us making us the ones responsible to going to see our GP if we have symptoms or if we're worried about it. What, would, what advice would you give to them or how would you explain why there isn't a national screening program for prostate cancer? I think the main thing with that one is that because of the studies that have been done and shown that the specificity and sensitivity of, of PSA tests itself are not that high and reliable. Yeah. Now, based on that, that's one of the main reasons. So for people there, when we, when we say we talk about sensitivity is that the test is actually able to show that you have got the particular um, disease we are testing, in this case, prostate cancer. Yeah. And sensitivity is the test that tells us if we are indeed able to say you do not have it. So the test is able to tell you that you are truly negative, yeah. for instance. It's a bit hit and miss, like we said. So based on everything that was analyzed, it was found out, like we said, that two-thirds of the people that had a raised prostate and PSA did not have cancer. So yeah. using that particular thing as a test, we find out that we end up testing more people who either one may not have a raised PSA, may not have a cancer, yes. even though they have a raised PSA, and end up going down the line of further testing that can end up with significant um, morbidities attached to it, like urinary incontinence, infection and possible erectile dysfunction from further treatment so they have to balance all these factors in hand and i think like i mentioned earlier we do something called you need to screen over 1400 people before you are able to get them to save one person from dying i think that's the best better better way to put it so those are the things that we kind of look at and um, using those we are able to um Come to, a, come to a conclusion that we do not need to create a test just yet because the PSA itself is not a very accurate test like the other breast screening tests that we've been able to use out there. 
yes, yes. And um, let's talk about the reason why this PSA test is not so specific in terms of um, its ability to tell you that it's got that it is cancer. And that's probably also because you know there are lots of different things in your body or in terms of your activity that can make your PSA level elevated that has absolutely nothing to do with um, cancer in itself. And so one of those things could be um, a urinary tract infection. Yeah. One of those things could be just the natural enlargement of the prostate with age. What other things um, would you tell people can elevate their um, PSA level? So I think once we find out, um, like you've mentioned earlier, like um, um, urinary tract infections and um, having an enlarged prostate themselves, other things are people, if people have had rigorous exercise in the last two to three days, it yeah. can affect your PSA. If you've had recent sexual intercourse as well in the last 48 hours, those things can also affect your PSA levels. Yeah. Interestingly, we found out that drugs like the finasteride um, drugs, people that are on medication like um, finasteride, which is an alpha after one reductase inhibitor, so can lower the PSA results, so can give a false negative result. Yeah. There's, there's some weaker evidence, on, not 100%, that things like obesity, people with, that have obesity have a lower PSA due to the fact that their hormones are affected. But there's weaker evidence related to that as well. So those things can affect the results as well. Yeah, that's, that's so important in terms of people understanding why the levels can be elevated and why it's so important to give the right kind of counsel before going mm -hmm. ahead to have, to have the PSA test. And so we talk quite a lot about prostate cancer in itself, diagnosing, treatments, the kind of symptoms as well, and how we test for it. So what happens in terms of people who then do have symptoms, but we've done the, we've done the um, um, digital rectal examination, we've done the prostate-specific antigen, and there's no evidence of cancer, but it does look like they're having a smooth, equal enlargement of the prostate that then does occur with age. What advice would you give in terms of then managing that and trying to reduce the symptoms as well? So those are probably, we call them managing lower urinary tract symptoms. So yes. uh, it's, it's all about lifestyle modification. Um, the, my first thing I ask them is, are they taking any, um, you look at the symptoms that are more predominant to them, if it's urinary frequency or they're waking up at night, to try and dial back the amount of caffeine they're taking, for instance. Yeah. Um, now, there's this thing called urethral milking that we talk to men about. So if you're using the toilet, you make sure you milk completely to prevent the terminal dribbling um, as well. Then other things like diet modification, cutting back risk factors, like we mentioned earlier, they were smoking, cut down smoking, and also weight loss. Weight loss also plays a big role in modifying things. Um, those are the main things we look at. And for men, it's just modifying their lifestyle against the symptoms they have. Yeah. I think those are the, that's the best summary I'll probably give them. Yeah, yeah. And if you were to give our listeners a championship point, something that they should remember about the importance of prostate cancer, especially in black men, or even to, even to women who are more likely to listen to these kind of shows and then go back and tell their husbands, their spouses, their fathers about prostate cancer, what would you want them to remember? Yeah, okay, so I think what I'd tell them is, one, prostate cancer is treatable. Yeah. It's, it's if, if caught early, we can treat it more than likely, although it's, it's the highest cancer, one of the third largest killer of uh, men in in the UK, it's still a treatable disease. Yeah. Secondly, 
what they should not be shy to speak to their doctor if they're having any symptoms at all like lower, lower what we call the lower urinary tract symptoms that we talked about yeah. and getting an examination it should not be something that deters them from going to see their doctor yeah um, regarding the psa test it would be better if they've been examined and they have a discussion with their general practitioner regarding the pros and cons and have of having the psa test it would be a decision that they will have to sit down and discuss completely yeah. based on also looking at the risk factors um, for anybody who had a family member that had prostate cancer under the age of 60, it is worth going to see your GP to have um, a full examination first and a full, what we call the men, men, um, full men's health check and a pro probably a digital rectal examination as well. As well. That is fantastic. Thank you so much, Dr. Tosin, for coming on the episode. Where can our listeners find you online? Okay, so online um, on Instagram, it's Dioscuri2, that's D for Delta, I-O-S-C-U-R-I-2. Um, same for Facebook, and if you just search Dr. Tosin Taiwo on LinkedIn as well, you'll find me. That is fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on today's episode. Thank you very much for having me. Fabulous. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. Do share this podcast with two people who have not heard about us before. Remember that this podcast in no way replaces advice from your own doctor or physician. Do subscribe and follow us on social media. Leave us a review on iTunes so that others can access the amazing content. And do join the club at asliceofhealth.club and drop us some suggestions or questions that you might have. Don't forget to be a health champion wherever you go by separating health fact from health fiction.